All right, everybody. So um, this is going to be when it goes live, which will be March 11th, but you'll only be able to tune in on March 11th. So that's kind of a daft statement to begin with. It's going to be episode number four. And today's guest is a guy called Justin Breen. And I've followed Justin maybe now for maybe 6 to 12 months. I don't even know how I came across him on the old interweebs. It was on Facebook. But there was something he said in a post, something, how he showed up. I was like, this guy's kind of just as open and honest as you get. So I just kind of followed on, kept it, kept looking at what he was doing, followed his journey when he started in coaching, killing that one as well. And then all of a sudden I get an email for this dude called Anthony Trucks. And if nobody knows who Anthony is, he's a former NFL football player. And Justin was on his podcast. And I'm like, damn, man. Hey, that's awesome. So he's, I'm starting. So look, I'll go. I'm like, and here we are. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Justin Breen. And I want him to tell you a wee bit about himself and we'll kick off with you. Over to you, Justin. Well, thanks for having me, Grant. And I'm glad that uh, one of my posts, you know, turn your head. That's exactly why I make content and exactly why I'm open and vulnerable and try to be as authentic as I can be because I hid behind a mask for about 16 years. So my name is Justin Bryan and I am a inspirational speaker, a certified life coach and a mental health advocate. Um, it was a long 16 years though, to be able to put those, let's say titles in front of my name. So I apologize for uh, mispronouncing your second, your surname there. <laughs> That's a, that, you know what? I used to play junior hockey and, uh, if I got a point or, or a penalty minute, <laughs> they used to call, say my name wrong, my own, in my own barn. So, oh, no way. Come on. Okay. Justin Breen, Justin Brienne. It's spelt like O'Brien, but just without the O. Oh, so that makes it easy. I can get that one. You should be able to get that I should one. You're okay then. with that one. <laughs> yeah. So, you said 16 years. So, do you want to dive into that journey, that 16 years? And, you know, because you said it was a long journey. And I said, I know a wee bit about it. And I know why you're working in the mental health advocacy side. And I'm pretty sure that was where I picked up on it was the, the sharing of the vulnerability and what ultimately you were trying to achieve. Well, you know what? It was a 16-year battle with uh, addiction, which ultimately stemmed from my mental health. And when I look back on it now, um, <clears throat> I definitely struggled as a kid. I wasn't diagnosed um, until 30 years old with clinical depression. Um, which is a depression that lasts over six weeks. Yeah. It's lasted my basically my whole life. Um, ADHD, um, anxiety, and out like general and social. But I didn't, yeah, like I said, I didn't get diagnosed with this until 30 years old. So I was dealing with this a lot. And what I did was I turned to alcohol for a coping mechanisms. I didn't really drink in high school, maybe a, a handful of times. Yeah. Um, but uh, as soon as I moved away to play hockey, um, you know what? I, I kind of found alcohol there. And uh, I, from the first time I drank, I started drinking more. I found that false confidence that, uh, you know what? I, hey, I'm funny. I can be this guy that everybody wants to be. And you know what? It's you only think you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> Some other people that I was hanging out with might have a different word to say, but um, – <laughs> It just, I was very, had low self-esteem, low self-confidence, low self-worth growing up. I always was behind my friends. I wasn't as strong as them. I, I, you know what? I was a late bloomer. I hit puberty at like 17 years old. So I was, I was small. Um, you know what? I wasn't really, I was, I was picked on, but I wasn't picked on. I was a very outgoing child, very outgoing. Uh, maybe a little bit mouthy for my size. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong yeah, with that. I was picked on a little bit, but I always, you know, I always wanted to be everybody else but me. Gotcha. Um, and that shifted over into uh, my adult life. And that's why I turned to alcohol. Um, and then that kind of started to escalate. So I, I went from barely drinking to being an alcoholic really quick because I loved who it made me. <clears throat> Finally, at 20, so I moved to Vancouver after hockey and I was bartending downtown. And I remember it's a good I, job for an alcoholic. Yeah, no doubt. I was walking across the Canby Street Bridge and I looked up and I'm like, holy cow, you're an alcoholic. I'm like, no, 
there's no way I'm an alcoholic. I'm too smart. See, I was, I always correlated alcoholic alcoholism with being a low life. Yeah. This is, so this is, I'm 36 now. This is 12 years ago. Uh, you know, the narrow minded young kid, um, just thinking if you're an alcoholic, you must be a failure because that's how I portrayed it. Um, and I, I just, I convinced myself I wasn't, but I, re- I really knew I was though, because it's been brought up to me with another guy that I bartended. He's like, Hey man, you think you drink too much? Cause I could I'd go to work and be hungover. I could close that bar down and basically to where last call, I could do my cash out in five minutes and then I could be at a bar where it took everybody else 45 minutes after, but I came up with a way on how to do it. So I could get to the bar and I would do that almost every night. I would pick up a bottle from and, or go home and drink by myself. Basically every single night, a bottle of vodka to myself. And, you know, <laughs> financially, yeah. that's a good one, but I mean, a bottle of vodka night's a good one as well. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're making good cash when you're bartending. You always have cash on hand. It's like, okay, I'm going to spend it. Well, I'm just going to make it back tomorrow. Yeah. And it's going to be, that's cash in hand. And finally, I, I'll say I graduated to drug use. So I was always against drugs. I never judged people that did them. I just, I wasn't for me. I mean, I smoked weed when I was 21. Um, and I smoked it every now and then. Uh, but I always, it made me super hungry and I, like I'm not a small guy, so I just want to eat, neat, neat, and you know what? I want to watch infomercials and talk politics. But I finally tried cocaine for the first time. I blacked out, but the worst thing that could happen to me was I talked to my buddy about it, and he told me that I was funny. So as soon oh. as he told me that, it was a mindset switch. So then I was like, okay, if I feel like if I feel like crap, if I feel less confident, less self worth. I can have alcohol. What else can I do? I can have drugs. So I actually had an algorithm to leave my house almost. It came down to that where I'd have a certain amount of drinks to leave my house. Um, I'd have to have a certain amount of drinks to talk to this girl. I'd have to have a certain amount gotcha. of drinks to go on the dance floor. So I was, I'm a very self-aware person. I think a lot of people are. It's, it's finding the how to navigate yep. it. Finding the passive, yeah. Yeah, so... I knew why I drank at a very young age. I just wasn't willing to accept it. I wasn't willing to accept the change. So then I really started down that path of uh, doing drugs. And like right now I'm six, three, like around two thirty-five. But when I was probably 24, 25, I was around one seventy, maybe one, maybe one eighty. I was skinny. I wasn't eating much. I was six, three. That's a wee bit, probably a wee bit of skinny side. Yeah. I mean, I, I still didn't look, I didn't look, didn't look skinny. I didn't eating, look, yeah. But I, I did, I barely ate. Um, I barely saw the sun. I would party all night and sleep all day. And then I'd go to work and then it just a vicious cycle happened. And then I would start to lose jobs until I finally, I had to move away from Vancouver, but that it's just the vicious cycle kept going. And what were you in a relationship at this point? Was it just you, just single guy, just constantly in that cycle or were you in relationships? And Never. I mean, I had a relationship uh, in high school for about nine months. Out of high school, when I was managing a nightclub, I had a relationship for about three months. But besides, besides that, until I was... 20, 28, 29, I didn't really get into a relationship. I kept moving around from city to city, um, being a gypsy, just going where if I got in trouble, I left. i go find more trouble somewhere else because I would turn to alcohol. I would turn to drugs. And I would, you know what, when you are looking for that kind of lifestyle, you can find it extremely yeah, easily. And there's no there's not very much help when you're in that lifestyle when you're for, I mean, I ended up working at a mill eventually and they knew my mental health was off. Um, I actually got on short-term benefits because I was in a union to pay for my psychiatrist. So I was off work. I was getting paid to be off work. Um, but in that situation, I got help. Um, I ended up going to rehab but when I was in that bartending situation, it's it's go to work, party, party with the party with the boss, party with the servers, um, and then it just go to sleep, 
do it all over again. So, I mean, that's kind of almost like a classic example is you have the subject of the, the, the summary everybody you surround yourself with. Yeah, yeah. And you see that, that comment that it's super, you hang out with four losers, you become the fifth. You hang out with four drunks, you usually become the, become fifth. the fifth one. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I've never been in this area and my wife's been in it and quite a few people and a lot of it seems to be you either get stuck in that cycle mm-hmm. or you find some other way of it but it's a tough one I mean I've got I mean I lost a brother before he was 40 and drugs and alcohol were primary cause before that and I might even get a lot of grief with saying that one come when this comes out but that's what it was. That's how he treated his life. And but he never faced up to it for that perspective. It was always somebody else's fault. It was under somebody else's problem. You know, uh, dad's an alcoholic, the youngest brother's an alcoholic, you know. So and I, I also get that thing when you say it is like, I didn't drink in high school either. It's like I was afraid to go to the pub and get arrested. <laughs> and I, I don't know, it was too cold in Scotland to get outside. I mean. You were living in BC at the time. And no wonder, nobody's going outside to drink beer or 2020 or whatever it was when you were growing up. I was like, no doing it. But when I joined the Air Force, mm. I was 18. Yeah. And it was like, oh, here we go. Um, but never allowed it to take over to that extent. I mean, I have a buddy that did. And he's been, he was telling me just the other day there, he shared his first written article ever made when he went in EA and he's been clean and sober now I think he said 13 years oh good for him you know so huge journey but you know when I knew him kind of like you party go to work party and in some aspects I used to look at him and go damn you're cool right because in, in a lot of ways the person he became was some of the bravado some of the the confidence that he would use you know just how he showed up, I was like, oh, I wish I could be more like that. You know? So that, and you're, you're young, and you, you don't really get that. Uh, maybe I don't necessarily want to be like that. And we've shared quite a few conversations the other years, and I think he said to me a couple of weeks ago, he's like, who would have thought two guys from Scotland would be talking about this philosophical level all these years later? And he's quite right. It's like, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know when you're 18, 19, 20. And, you know, it is very much that level of experimentation for us all. It's like sometimes some of us know how to handle it or know all about it to take over. Sometimes it takes over. And there's never even a reason to it. For what I've seen, just it's what it is. But you mentioned, you said, you, I mean, it's like the big three or big four. Clinical depression, ADHD, anxiety, and what, there was another one I'm sure you threw in there. And this all happened like when you turned around about 30. Now, this one I got diagnosed, but I also suffer from concussions. Ah, uh, hockey player. Yeah. Car accidents. Um, I got sucker punched. Uh, and you mix all those in to one, it's this is a recipe for disaster. And it's, you know, what? it's funny, we were talking about Tom Bilyeu, and it's, yeah, it's taking one thing I really like about it is taking complete ownership of your life and the choices mm-hmm. you've made. And, you know, I, this is something I, I like to say, I, I know a lot of people might not agree with me, but I believe you don't choose addiction. However, you choose to stay in addiction. The hardest part of addiction isn't quitting, but it's living in sobriety. So for me, I could quit, but I could only stay sober so long because I didn't know how to deal with my emotions yeah. In a sober lifestyle. I didn't know how to have those conversations in a sober lifestyle. So you know, I'm sober now about 26 months, 20, 26 months. Yeah. Yesterday. Cool. Um, and I'm still learning to have those conversations to go out without alcohol. See, I'm a hockey player. I play golf. I play baseball. You, there's alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. You watch TV. There's alcohol. You, um, commercials, alcohol, um, all those, you go up to a restaurant, alcohol, you're surrounded by it everywhere. Yeah. And a lot of what I've, what I've seen is people put alcohol on such a pedestal. Um, I need to have this drink. I need to have I that. Need to, yeah. 
to feel this, to be this person, to relax. Well, actually, you don't. Um, you just need to find a different coping mechanism, which I had to do because, and I, I, I only say this because I lived it, because I saw where alcohol took me. And I moved back home at 28. Um, I met this girl. But alcohol was taking over my life. Um, we ended up breaking up. Um, you know what? And then one day she came to me. We still kept in touch. And she's like, hey, I'm pregnant. I'm like, oh, okay. So we moved back in together. And um, I ended up getting in a car accident with drinking involved. So I was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. I got to go to rehab. So um, I was off on short-term leave from the mill. Because that's when I started to become suicidal. So 28 I became suicidal um, for six straight years. Every single day, I wanted. To, it's not like I wanted to die, but I wanted the pain to end. Yeah. Uh, people ask me like, "So what is? It? Like, I don't. We don't get it." I'm like, "Well, you know what? Imagine your kid is choking. You can see the object in their mouth, but you can't pull it out. That's what it felt like every single day. So I would get sober, and then I'd go back on that cycle. I don't know how to deal with it. And then she told me she was pregnant. I'm like, okay, well, I got to turn around for this kid. You know what? I got to get my shit together. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm Scottish. There's, there's going to be an explicit uh, come up at some point uh, and everything set for explicit just in case. Be yourself. Yeah, I've done probably 10 podcasts that I've never sworn on one. Um, <laughs> definitely not Anthony's. No, <laughs> but no. I go to rehab. Uh, I go there and I work out every day. You're in a, um, a place with 60 other men. And the thing is that they're not guys I would normally typically hang out with. Nothing against them, but they're not the guys I would typically hang out with. Um, some of them were, but you felt normal there. It's like you could look around the room and go, oh, he's messed up. Oh, he's got issues. And you feel normal, though, there because you're all dealing with the same thing. You're same dealing with yep. mostly dealing with depression, dealing with past traumas dealing with past experiences subconscious beliefs how you feel low self-worth you, you just feel normal there so you create a good bond but i went there i went to all my classes it's, it's a lot of counseling all day every day right and you're stuck away from your family i have my pregnant girlfriend at home and as soon as i got out uh, my uncle came and picked me up and i looked at him and i'm like I'm not done drinking forever. So I get out of a rehab and I say I'm not done drinking. That's kind of literally the first comment. It's like, I'm not done drinking forever. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to take a break. And I did for three months. My son was born. I started drinking again. And, you know, it was, uh, it was probably the worst decision I ever made. And I kept, I went back down that rabbit hole and six months later, my girlfriend was like, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. So she got up with my son and she, she moved out and you did, you'd think that would change me, but no, it didn't. You know what? I just, I kept going down further and further, not knowing what to do. Those lonely nights of pacing and drinking in my room by myself. I went back to work. I went back off work. I went back to work until finally they're like, listen, you gotta, you gotta leave. Uh, they didn't fire me. They're like, you need to go get help. Like, go get help. Um, you know, we were broken up for about three years. We are back together now. And I remember one time I had my son and I was losing my thoughts. It's like when I was at the mill, I'm lucky I never hurt anybody because I'm running a 400 degree press. I'm driving a forklift inside. And my thoughts, I was, were all over the map. Um, I forget people's names in front of me because I'm like, am I going to make it? And then I would look at him and like, well, that guy's normal. Why can't I be normal? Yeah. And I'm like, is this going to be the day? Is this going to be the day? And then one time I had my son and I'm like, I just, I couldn't keep my thoughts together. So I took him to the store. I grabbed some candy, some chips and I brought him home and I put him in front of the TV and I turned that movie on. And once I did that, I, I just wanted to distract him. And I walked behind him and I stared at the back of his head and I started crying. I just didn't know if I was going to make it to teach him how to skate, teach him how to ride a bike, see him score his first goal. 
um, you know, teach him or see him graduate, see him get married. I, I could not see it myself in his future. And I even told my doctor, I'm like, listen, like, I don't want to die right now, but if I go on like this, I'm not going to make it make me better. And you know what? Yeah. I ended up in the hospital three different times because of alcohol poisoning, just trying to drink my sorrows away and my, where my hands went numb. And, you know, my son came in, my girlfriend, ex well, girlfriend now brought him in and he looked at me, looked at her and looked at me and said, what's wrong with daddy? You think that would change me, but it didn't. The one thing I am proud of is so, you know, we were broken up for three years and I never, I drank two or three times when I had him, but I never got drunk. I had a couple drinks, but I never got as an addict, drug addict, or uh, I never did drugs when I had him. Yep. Um, I only drank two or three times and I never got drunk. So I'm very proud of that, but I never changed. I missed ca- a couple, countless times because I was too hungover. Um, one time I had to give him to my mom because I had to drink. Well, I thought I had to drink um, to get my thoughts out of my head. Finally, uh, I said enough was enough. And I went to rehab again. And I went to rehab again because I started working out. And I started listening to guys like Les Brown, Inky yep. Johnson, Eric Thomas, and Trent Shelton. Trent Shelton's the first guy I ever saw speak that made me want to be a speaker. Before and, Eric Thomas? Uh, before Eric Thomas, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I, Eric Thomas was kind of one of the years and years and years ago. Um, I, same kind of people before Trent Shelton, but for some reason I keep gravitating back to Eric Thomas, you know? So, you know, I just saw Trent Shelton spoke, but then I started listening to YouTube videos of motivational speaking. So I started working out during this time um, because it was the best form of antidepressant I ever had. And I didn't know who these guys were, but I listened to it. It was Inky Johnson, Trent Shelton, Les Brown. And now I actually know who they are. (laughs) I follow them all on Instagram, but I know who they are. And I realized I'm listening to these guys. But what stood out for me the most was what find your why every guy talks find your why find your why so i started to ask myself well what is my why because in the deepest darkest moments i thought my son was better off without me yep so i literally said okay he needs a better father if i just end this my girlfriend and i asked at the time she's smart she can find him an amazing dad a guy that's going to be there for him, who's going to raise him, who's going to treat him well, who's going to be the dad that he needs him to be because he deserves that, man. So I started to get into that uh, into that mindset where, you know, I just looked it up for the first time. I was finally comfortable enough to look it up. September 20th, 2018, I became an organ donor. And I got milk thistle from my liver and kidney flush because I was going to prepare myself to go. Um, and I wanted to leave my body in a better spot so I could donate more of my organs. Well, that's a thought process and a half, is it not? Yeah. Well, I was <laughs> planning, so I started planning it. Yeah. And I just, you know what, I just last last week, I think, or I finally, I looked up the date. And I'm like, okay, I, I need to know this because in my, in that, those six years, uh, being suicidal it felt like a fantasy now that I'm out of it and you know I, I still get depressed I mean I'm still human uh, I've punished my brains multi- on multiple different angles um, with drugs and alcohol and concussions and having a mental illness so I know I'm going to have my bouts but I have better, way more better days than bad days but now that I look back on it, it it's, it's more real it's, it get, becomes a little more real for me. It's like, holy cow, I was really there. So back to the why, I found instead of thinking, you know what, I'm, he's better off without me, I started thinking, you know what, what if I got better for him? Because everyone says you have to do it for yourself, you have to do it for yourself. Well, I can tell you there are people out there that can't. So I tell them this, find someone you can do it for. That's what I did. What's your higher power? Yeah. Um, What's my higher power? No, in that aspect, oh. it can, you know, I mean, having some friends there, and, you know, I, I know there's a lot of aspects of religion associated to it and finding. And 
but you need to find your higher power, a higher sense of meaning. And if that comes through the kids sitting in front of you, who's to say that that's wrong? You know, if it's if it's that thing that produces, that flicks your switch, you know, and that keeps you there, that it works. Yeah. So Go knock I, it. You know. I started thinking, hey, so what if I got better for him? What if I get better for him? I get better for me. What if I get better for me? I get, I can help other people get Compound better effect. themselves. Mm-hmm. So my why took me back to rehab. So I went back to rehab, but this time I went with my why, the power of mm-hmm. why. And I preach this. I've spoke to the power of why. So I went with my why. And then instead of like, I need to quit drinking. I'm like, why do I drink? Well, I drink because I'm depressed. Well, why am I depressed? Well, I have my low self-worth, low self-confidence, low self-esteem. Well, why do I have that? Well, I didn't like myself as a kid. And holy cow, I'm dealing. I do not know how to deal with my mental state in a healthy way. So, and How I long did that journey take you? Because, I mean, you're just reiterating that often. For people that maybe know be self-aware, maybe sitting in the edge of the precipice of that journey and thinking, I don't want to ask myself those questions. So I was, how long did that? Oh, 33. So three years ago. I well eight, that was 30. Yeah, 33. I uh, was last in rehab. So I'm 36 now. So two, two and a half years ago um was when I put myself in rehab again. And he started changing my thought pattern. Sort of really listening to the motivational speaking. Um, podcasts. Well, that's actually when I got out of rehab. I really um, committed myself to healthy coping mechanisms, but I went through that and I learned a lot. See, in rehab, we did a week of gratitude and mindfulness, a week mm-hmm. of anger, a week of guilt and shame, and a week of forgiveness. And I believe I'm missing one more, but it's those things that all deal with your emotions and none of the drinking. And I really came up, uh, the biggest thing I came up with is, is the acceptance part. You need to accept things in your life. You don't have to like them. So you need to accept that, that how that person treated you. Accept it because it happened. You don't have to like it, but then you have to forgive it. Not forgive them, forgive it because it's real and it's for you. Yep. Accept it for you, forgive it for you. You don't have to tell them, tell them them to their face you don't have to talk to them ever again if you don't want accept it because it's real it happened forgive it and then move on not move on you can still keep it there see i keep my past at the forefront sometimes and i just heard this the other day it's okay to look back but do not get caught staring yep it's, it's the dwelling in the rumination part yeah so i had to accept myself for being depressed for being an alcoholic, for missing time with my kids, for making poor decisions. And I had to, yeah, basically admit that I had a problem, accept that I had the problem, and then I had to ask for help. And I did. However, three months after rehab, I was getting bad again. That's when I put my, that's when I became that organ donor, um, was when I got out of rehab, because I just, my mind was going, my mind went down and I uh, fi- started drinking again because I didn't know what to do. And finally, on January 4th, 2019, I hospitalized myself with suicidality and alcoholism. And with my dad to my left, my mom in front of me and a counselor to the right, I finally admitted out loud that I had a plan and that plan was to end it. And by saying it out loud, it released like half the weight because I finally admitted that hey this i am struggling like i need help and that's the day i finally turned it around that's the last day i ever had a drink and since then i don't i've committed myself i committed to appointments finally um going to all my doctor's appointments going to my counseling appointments i committed to medication i committed to gratitude i committed to journaling i committed to podcasts learning about other men like me that it's okay to be vulnerable, be authentic, yeah. be real, be yourself. You're not alone. 
it's okay to not be okay. I know it's cliche, but it's 100% the truth. It's the same as that one you said, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people listen to oh, yeah, find your why, find your why. Do you know, we have cliches for a reason, right? Yeah. It's the same as we have the idea of stereotypes is they exist for reasons because through our own eyes, we've seen them so many times. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. It just is what it is. And that why is huge. Nobody's saying what your why has to be, you know? You have to figure that out. And I think that's a step a lot of people, I must say, normal people who are not yeah. necessarily facing up to some stuff and all that, don't necessarily want to take. Because it's easier in a lot of ways not to take it because, you know, I mean, you've talked a little bit about your addiction, but there's a lot in there to unpack in the journey. That awakening, it comes to that, it gets to that point and mm. really open up and says, to the public outside maybe a counselling session, I got a plan here, guys. And this is how it was going down, but no yeah. anymore. And that depth, and I mean, you just said, what was that, twice you were in rehab in a matter of a couple of years, is, you know, I know a couple of guys in there just now, I talked to them in depth, and... You know, you say you say a week here, a week here, a week here, a week here. Well, a lot of people might not get if they haven't spoken to anybody. That's an intense bloody week. It's not like see, you're just sitting there having a week conversation or anything, or it's yeah. an hour here or an hour there. It can be the whole day, and it's a day after day after day, and that's bloody intense because nobody's pulling punches. No, so that week of anger. Um, was I thought I didn't know if I was going to make it. Is that, uh, was that the hardest one out of the four or the five? Yeah. Yeah. So was, yeah was, we were there for 42 days. So I feel like I'm missing one. But that week of anger. So you have that room. That place was smaller. It was 20 men. But you're eating in the same kitchen. You have the same bathroom. Sharing a room with 20 other guys that got rid of their coping mechanisms. Right. And... <laughs> There's a lot of masculinity. Like powder keg. Like some of those guys have been through such brutal experiences and traumas. Um, I didn't know if I was going to make it through that week, to be honest. I did, and I'm glad I did. But it's it's a different life in there. You're there. Uh, you can't leave the compound for the yep. first three days. Uh, luckily. I was at a place where we could go to the gym. The YMCA was, they gave us gym passes for 17 bucks for those 45 days. Um, and you know what? That's, there's a lot of testosterone going around and it's, I'm pretty proud of myself for staying there. And anybody that goes to rehab, proud of you because it's not an easy thing to do to, hey, listen, I need help with this. And then move away from your family. I had to move away from my son. Me and my girlfriend were broken up at the time again. And she brought him down a couple of weekends for me. She has been my rock. We're back and now we're back together, which is amazing that I had to I had really worked for it. When I say I found my why, there's there's not just one part to the why. There's find your why, make it your anchor, base your decisions around your why, mm -hmm. and then your why needs a how. So the belief yep. needs actions. So my why. Was my kid. I made it my anchor. Then I based my decisions around. So why should I not drink? Because of him. Um, so I based my decisions around that. So how am I going to get better for my son? The why, the how, the why. Well, like I said, all those healthy coping mechanisms. That's how I'm going to get better. I'm going to commit. I'm not on medication anymore. However, uh, I would go back on them if I feel like I need to. Yep. I, I've... I've got to the point where I don't believe I need them, and I, but I still have a doctor. I have a great support team. I have a counselor if I need one. I, addiction's a counselor. I have a doctor that I can see. Like I've been to 100 doctor's appointments, 77 days in rehab, 10 psychiatrists, 10 psychologists, 45 addiction appointments, and eight different meds on my journey to getting better. To buy a list. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you know what? Then it was all those healthy coping mechanisms. Then it was, I had 
sticky notes on my mirror. I had sticky notes on my front door. Um, there's when I say I did everything, I did everything I could to get better, to get out of that, uh, lifestyle mm-hmm. yeah and i mean it's t- touching the same one again i mean you're talking about the anger side of things we touched on it at the very beginning is like when you're a barman you know you're surrounded by people in that situation so you become like you said four drunks you become the fifth drunk 21 blocks going through anger exercises all at the same time yeah but i thought they might have tried to bring the gratitude guys in with that to try and calm it down a bit but just like a week of 20 guys like ah oh, it's like Hello. Yeah. Well, it's you know what? When I say you become the fifth drunk, it's no, I was the worst drunk out of the friends. So Are you bringing them on? Come on, guys. I'm bringing them down. I was hey. bringing them down, if anything. Yeah. No, but as you see, that that whole idea, you know, 20 guys in one place, you know, it's a really, really intense emotion. And I mean, we all have anger. Um it peaks out every now and again. I don't care who you are, how calm you say you are, how in touch you are in Zen. Anger's real. And you know, and it's it's the no dealing with it and sometimes no allowing it to come out that builds into rage. And if you can't handle that rage, it builds into a hell of a lot of other things. You know, so get to the root. Get to the root. And you know, I I take, take that journey every now and again. I'll sit there and, you know, like you say, try not to ruminate those questions and not overanalyze the past. We go, okay, where is this one coming from? Why is it here now? What's it trying to tell me? And some days it's not fucking comfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up to the end of last year, I had quite a few of those very, very, very uncomfortable days in the dark. And, and it was that. I was just me feeling inadequate, me feeling like stuff just wasn't going well. And it didn't matter what anybody else was saying around me. It was like, nope, it's no fucking doing well. And I, I know how to deal with it. And nothing I could put in place, nothing I could say, none of the exercises, none of the things could shift me out of it. But I also knew as best I could knew it was temporary. Mm-hmm. Right. So I knew it was something I had to just sit through for that point in time and no try and run away and hide for it. And it was, you know, and it's, it's uncomfortable. And I think like you said, it's like a lot of, I think men in general just do not want to sit in that uncomfort. You know, it's oh, almost like a sign of weakness more than anything else. It's like, no, it's okay to be yeah. down. And that's where that man up stigma comes in. So when I was 24 years old, I remember exactly where I was driving. I looked at my buddy and we were having a conversation on depression. I'm like, depression is an excuse. It's for the week. You need to man up, go to work, be a man, pay your bills. That almost killed me. It literally almost killed me. Is that man up stigma? I did a mental health presentation for um, a high school group, and they asked me a question. It was for um, a girls' group, women's group, and they said, "Well, we have what do we do when we talk to uh, we have some of our male friends? They come up and say we're not doing good. Like, oh, well, we'll just we'll just we'll just man up. Well, then you know what? So, so what should we say to them? Well, ask them how is that working." How's that working for you? I don't know how it worked for me. Are you feeling any, does, does it make you feel better to say, I'll just man up? How would you deal with it? When you remove a tree from your yard, you can cut it off, get rid of it. And there's stuff, there's going to be a stump. There's going to be roots, or you can pull it from the root and get rid of it. Yep. Got a root cause it. Yeah. And that's the terminology from my electronics background. You can change stuff that at the front end that you think's broken, but unless you find actually what caused the fault in the first place, it's yeah. going to keep coming back. And I think it's the Dal- is, I think it's Dalai Lama or it's, it's courage isn't the absence of fear, mm-hmm. but the courage is the, oh, how does it go? The f- to overcome fear is to face it and overcome it. I forget how it goes. Is, is it, I, I know the one and, Tom Billy, where are you when you need him? <laughs> yeah, definitely. We need Tom Billy. 
Is it no even further back than the Dalai Lama, like Seneca or something? I know you're checking it right now. Nope. Yeah, so the video here. He's just having a quick check to see exactly what the quote is and where it came from. Uh, where is it now? Oh, it's. I learned that the that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. Yep. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Mm-hmm. I think that might have been Nelson Mandela. Gonna be. <laughs> hey. Oh no, it's no actually. Misattributed to Nelson Mandela. I'm a. I'm pretty positive in that one. He never actually said it. <laughs> But then again, somebody will correct us further down the line. I like to go to um, either Court Investigator or Snoops or one of these <laughs> But it's true. I mean, wh- whoever said that. Nelson it, Mandela. It says there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check on that one. But yeah. the, the sentiment is regardless of who said it, where it came from. Yeah. Is it's true. You ha- you ha- courage is the ability to face your fear. Stare it in the bloody eye and let it look back at you and go, it's like, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. And that is hard, you know, because the times you really need it are not the times when you're feeling bloody happy and all contented and joyful about yourself. You know, that's the easy bit going, hey, I'm doing well today. You know, yeah. it's like that guy in the looks in the mirror is like, hey, looking good, big fella. <laughs> you don't need yeah. the courage in that one. It's the days it's like, oh my God, oh, you know. Okay. It's remembering, you know, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days, uh, and, but giving yourself some grace. You know what? I'm going to have a bad day. So, but I'm going to, that's okay. I might just, if I lay in bed a couple hours, that's okay. It's like I was saying before, it's the knowing that or having the confidence and the courage to know that that's a short-term thing right now, that you have the mechanisms, you have the strategies, that you have the things that can say, I'm okay with that. The only person that's judging me right now is me. And mm-hmm. I'm good with that call. And I can, I can move forward. But it's when it's a second day or it turns on eight hours or 10 hours. and it's, That's when that self-reflection really needs to come back. And that's why I love journaling. I mean, you touched on journaling. Um, I, I, I journaled before it was cool. used to call it a diary. <laughs> way way back in the day you know and i was near force at times so it was not one of the things you kind of plopped it in front of everybody i'm just gonna write in my diary <laughs> yeah well but you you look at that well, should have done though no. oh, the guys in the army isn't that what they did back in the day when they're all alone what do you do you write in the diary way back yeah and, yeah. and wrote letters and stuff and it was you know a lot of time it was just an honest heart pouring you what I felt there and then. Yeah. And thoughts on paper. It, it's cathartic. It really is. It, it's hard to, unless somebody's actually done it, it's hard to really understand the release. And some days I don't, you know, I missed a couple of days there. Some days I spew my guts out for like 10 pages. Someday, just a couple of pages. I used to really, for a, a few years ago, I really wanted to try to force myself into a certain amount and a certain amount of pages. And I, and I had to take a step back and say, no. You know, gurus at the end, it's like, yeah, well, here's your daily journal. It's like, I don't feel a journal on the day. It's just, you know. And sometimes that day turned into two and two turned into a week and a week. And it's like, fuck, it's a year since I journaled. But when I take the reflection back in that, it's like, I know why. I wasn't necessarily in tip-top form. And it was allowing that one day to become two and two to become the week. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is like, oh, shit. Because oh. Well, I can- was scared to write on it. You know, it's like... It comes in, right? That's yeah. how you get better, is consistency, doing the things you don't mm-hmm. want to do when you know you should be doing them. Should be doing them, Yeah. And when I fill up my journal, I could see my growth. Right. Yep. But there's things you can journal about your feelings. You can journal about what you have to do tomorrow. You can journal about gratitude. There's, you can journal about a brain dump. Like, just get what. Exactly. I 
I take all of them, and that's how if Tom Tien was like, what would you journal about? It's like, sometimes nothing. It's like, you go back and read it and go, huh, what? And then the days you go back and go, fuck, did I write that, man? Yes! I'm a genius. I'm extremely intelligent. <laughs> but like, what was happening that day? <laughs> I wasn't having a great day that day. <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's a, there's definitely a lot of that. Um, so I, I, you know, I you were saying as when you were growing up, definitely weren't you? You were a smaller kid, but you know, six three two hundred thirty five. Well, I, you- I also know you work out now because you like to show people your big muscles. <laughs> so so how you and you said that was one of your antidepressants yeah antidepressants i didn't want to say coping mechanisms but antidepressants it was that thing yeah so no it helps me cope uh, yeah now uh you know i first started working out because it made me feel good then i started then i got into that mindset oh i need to work out for girls to like me now it's, it's it, not bad it, it makes me feel good right i i listen to podcasts when i work out i listen to motivational speaking when i work out or i listen to audible books i'm listening to a um what are you listening to come on tell us tell us come on I've listened to lots. Holy! But what are you listening to right now? What's your right audible? Now, uh, becoming a professional life coach. So I'm already a professional life. I know. Coach, yep. And I'm going to listen to more books on it. Something different. So I have becoming a professional life coach. Um, I got think like a monk. Oh please no! Don't. I haven't listened to that. I've listened to a little bit of it, but it's yeah. not what's going to take me to where I want to be. But I also got like the end of mental illness by Dr. Daniel Amen, becoming supernatural. Yep. With Joe Dispenza. Yeah. Unleash the power within with Tony Robbins, daring greatly. Brene Brown. Oh, that's a brilliant book. Yeah. Power of positive leadership with John Gordon. Man's search for meaning. Victor. Frankel. Victor Frankel. Yep. Finding ultra is a good book by Rich Roll, who is a, an alcoholic who turned into yep. an ultra marathon runner. And he's, he's plant-based as well, is he not? Yeah. yeah. The masculinity with Lewis House and the nine different types of masks you wear. Yep. Uh, the Alchemist that I haven't listened to oh, yet. Oh, Paulo Coelho. Yeah. I, um, I said I got, awesome. Like, <laughs> that's all I do is high-performance habits. All I do is listen to books basically when I work out now. Um, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Compound Effect, Darren Hardy. Can't yep. Hurt Me by David Goggins. The I Goggins, heard- yeah. 46 Atomic Havocs, James Clear. I have 46 books and just my audibles. So it's... I've, almost, <laughs> rarely listen to music now. A lot of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Current one is uh, Loon Shots by Safi Bakel. Okay. Ba- ba- oh, yeah, Bakel. And I just finished uh, Panic Attacks and Stress Management. So yeah, geeking out. Uh, Sarah Harrogate and Sarah Wright. And get things that the MJ DeMarco coming up. Um, if you like the parable side of things, the Go-Giver expanded edition, mm-hmm. it's only two and a half hours. Okay. And if you listen to it two speed, probably get it done in a work kit. Because yeah. I can't listen to them at normal speed. I don't know about you. Oh, I didn't even know you could turn it up. What? Everyone's at 2.1, oh, okay, 2.2. So I take, I take an audible. You, what? you take, take notes. notes? Yeah. I'll listen at 2.1, 2.2. I'll use Blinkist sometimes to kind of go back and then add the notes later. It's like, okay, really interesting. Because I found that 60 to, uh, yeah, I'll say roughly 60% is filler and a lot of it's repeat. So anything that kind of gets me. But uh, I've got a buddy who's just, he's actually, I need to touch base with him. He's reading the the Jay Shetty book. Okay. I'm not a fan, I have to say. Oh, that's okay. Hey, if you, if, you can learn... if that gives me an extra podcast, let's just say I'm not a fan of Jay Shea. I'm okay with that. If you can learn one thing, every book, that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, good one. Yeah, indistractable. And I've got a bunch of stuff, geeking out and dad stuff, like children's stuff, like how to learn children. And, yeah. And that, that doesn't include... The physical library stuff, that's the stuff I'll do when I'm like walking the dog or all that kind yeah. of thing. 2.1, 2.2 speed. Tigro? It is. It's, you know, it's that level and take stuff you're uncomfortable with and move through that uncomfort and challenge your thoughts. You know, it's like, I'm not going to like this. Okay, I'll read it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's that journey. It's where it takes you. Absolutely. So you're back and what if you, you're back, we 
girlfriend, common law, everything, full-time dad. Mm -hmm. How's that going? It's going really well. You know, it was a lot for me to, I spent a lot of time alone to go back into, you know, what I started serving, bartending, sorry, again, because you know what I knew, I know it's dangerous. I know that's not what they want any addict to do, but I could go back. I could bartend. I could make money. I could work at night so I could do my coaching and speaking courses during the day. Uh, I'd make enough to pay for my schooling and pay my bills. And now what it, but what it also did for me, the best thing it did for me is it made me uncomfortable. I had to be around alcohol. Plus I had to be around people. I had to serve people. I had to have tough conversations. So when I went back there, I actually only worked on the well, just making drinks, not talking to guests. And then I, I finally went, okay, I need to serve. So I'm serving now. I serve part-time. Um, and uh so way you hone your communication skills i'll tell you that yeah well that's what i had to do now so it made me have those tough conversations and i still serve a little bit and you know like i'm coaching now i have my own personal development program that i put people through and i'm mm-hmm. still speaking but you know what i had to get myself into the, that position for me personally i don't suggest it to any <laughs> um, yeah to do that but that's what i needed to do to be where i am today and see i think there's there's that example again it's everybody's journey is different mm-hmm. you know that there's no a prescription for it that says go and do this this will happen so what was it what was that step like though to say i'm going back to bartending serving you know like when you tried to quit as many times as I did, and when it finally switches for you, it's like, done. There comes a time in your life where something just switches, it clicks, mm-hmm. and you do it. That was me. I knew what I had to do to get where I wanted to go. So Oprah Winfrey says, do what you have to do until you get to do what you want to do. Yeah. For me, I make good money serving. I talk with people. It makes me social. I'm going to do it until I have to. And you keep playing back to that bigger and higher. Why? Yeah. Who is the person I want to show up as? And I realize it's like, if I ever, you know, sometimes I, I'll see a buddy, they're getting, they're having drinks. I'm like, oh, I, I wouldn't mind one. And I'm like, but hey, this is where you were. This is where you want to go. Yeah. And I think that's what I, what I found. A lot of times when you look at what's out there in the world about how to set goals properly and how to do all this properly, is there's not enough that talks about what happens afterwards, right? Because in order to attain a goal, you have to have change. You become something different. You assume, and we'll say, a, a new type of identity in whatever role you are in within that goal, right? It's a different identity, that person. But that person now has something different to do. Because you've got a new set of skills and new strategies and new this. And we don't talk about it enough. Tevla, I, I very rarely I see it in the personal development field as people saying is, okay, and then what? Mm-hmm. And what's next? And how and it's that longevity tag that you just gain there is like, yeah, that's you know, I again the physical motion is like, yeah, that's not the person I want to be in that future me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not how I want to show up. And that's a tough one as well. Because there's also the movement. It's like, oh, live in the moment, be present. It's like, yeah, but I gotta also think what that presence leading to and who I become. Because I, I get completely focused in and be present, I can lose sight of the journey, and I can lose sight of the objectives, and I can lose sight of my longevity. You know, and I think so. There's always this competing aspect out there, and I think when you go too far to one side of these things, same as like positive psychology, mm-hmm. it can become toxic. You can't be overly positive all the time. You're not supposed to be. No, but, you know? well, it's easy to be naturally negative than it is to be positive. But yes, we are default to negative. The learning lesson out of something negative, and then you're, you're going to win. As long as you can see, hey, you know what? Because you're learning, it's like, well, I'm not going to do that again that way. 
or <laughs> or unless you're what is it Einstein's uh, doing things over and over again is a it always do what you'll always do you'll insanity. always get what you've always had yeah I, I don't know boss that used to say that all the time yeah uh, but and let, so that's if you don't learn from not doing it or from mm-hmm. doing it the same way then you're losing and then that's negative but if you have something negative happen to you you learn from it then it becomes a positive yeah so you, it's what you utilize it for yes how are you going to use that for yourself how is this going to benefit me yep yeah uh, and that almost seems selfish in a way right how does this benefit me but i think in some aspects yeah. we i think we, we need to be a bit more selfish a lot of times yeah you know what um all my clients uh, the, the, one of the biggest things they have is taking care of themselves first. Self-care. Oh, but now that every single one of them is taking care of themselves first, they're better for their families. Mm-hmm. I had a client say, oh, three, four of my clients have told me that since they've changed, it's people are reaching out to them. How did you make this change? What are you doing here? I love your positivity. There's, their positive stuff is rubbing down on rubbing off on other people and at another client he just said he's never been happier in his life at home and now he's even happier at work too it's because he's taking care of himself he's learning about himself and making necessary changes that he had to make it's almost like you feel you're being listened to yeah it's like they're buying into the system or something (laughs) it's like i'm listening to me listening to me cool you know, I think uh, who is it? There's it's Michael Bruce. Uh, connected. The book's called Connected, and it's kind of like the Five Degrees of Kevin Bacon, and it's like social anthropology type thing, and how everything is three to five levels deep. Yeah. Right, so for that impact and the ripple effect for a single person change, but it doesn't just ripple it the way it ripples back. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I, when I changed for my kid, I changed for me. Yep, and because you're changing for the kid, is how you're showing up in the world. Somebody yeah. else has seen that difference. That as a coach now they're changing. Somebody sees that, and then that changes there. But it can also, as you know, for that perspective, is is the environment you get into can ripple back into you, right? You know, somebody comes into your life can cause that, not necessarily yours, maybe somebody else's life can cause a knock-on catastrophic effect into yours. So it's interesting, you know, um, damn, I can't remember his name now, but that was one of the ones I really liked. Was it the compound effect? No, it's called Connected. Okay. And it's about social relationships and the dynamics of social relationships and how they move in and move out for a single event feels kind of like butterfly effectish, but for your personal perspective, it talks about McDonald's and obesity and I think it talks about alcoholism and drug addiction and things like that. Um, but it talks about family dynamics. It, it's quite cool. And some of the numbers, and I also get is like, it's numbers to sell his book. But I then like, probably, I don't know if you do it. It's like, I'll read the book and go, okay, they're selling a book. They have an opinion. How does that jibe in my world? Can I yeah. see can I see similarities in the life I lead and how I show up? Can I see similarities in somebody else and go? And I look for that. I almost say I look for the social proof. And sometimes you find it. Sometimes you don't. And it just causes that different. I don't yeah. take everything at face value. Shall we say? Well, you know what? Like you said before, not everything's going to work for you. It's yeah. all different. Like I didn't do AA, but AA works for people. Works for a then lot of people. Mm-hmm. Then there's addiction help. And there's rehab. There's going cold turkey if you can do it. Um, not everything works for one person. You got to find what works for you. Take a bit of that information out of that book and see if you can implement it into your lifestyle. Yeah, I like uh, being a geek and having been an engineer and a techie for the bulk of my life. Is I experiment. I love the idea of experiment, and I, I wrote that into the coaching as well. It's like every life's an experiment, and every experiment has a result. Mm-hmm. You choose what you do with the result, right? So it's try and get away from the idea of uh, pass and fail kind of thing. It's black and white. It's it's not. You get to adopt it if it fits you and suits you. You get to adapt it if it's kind of nearly there, but you want to change. Or you get to abandon it 
you know, and I think that's one of the tougher ones is, is that um, we don't like to abandon stuff and walk away. It's like I put time and effort into that. No fucking way. I'm sticking this shit out. And it's like, no, 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 no. You can't be a dead horse. But then you get guys like Goggins and you was like, talk about somebody that doesn't know how to abandon anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, he talks it's also strategic quitting. Life is hard. Get harder. Well, you don't necessarily have to get harder. <laughs> not everybody. That's not going to work for everybody. But you look at his journey as well. You know, wasn't yeah. like he was always in shape. No, guys, it's my, it shows you how the mind can be stronger than the body. Mm-hmm. Well, I think now again, quoting rough numbers here, but I think it's I read somewhere it's one of the seal things is that, that your mind quits. When you think, oh, when you're at forty percent, yeah. When you think you're at a hundred, you're actually at forty. I think is what Goggins says. And your mind quits before your body does because it's like, yeah, I'm not doing this. The defense mechanism. Yeah, it's but protection mechanism. As it's like, this is no working. It's no any good. Um, so definitely. So, is there anything you th- that I uh, you think I've missed? Is there anything that you would like to leave with? I mean, I'd like to have one of the really cool questions right at the end. Hey, you know, if you could get your message to anybody in the world, sorry, idea. But that also feels too cliche. So I'm like, uh, you know, I got a quote. It's Frederick Nietzsche. Yep. He who has the why can bear almost anyhow. Yep. He who knows his why can almost bear anyhow. And that's, I, you know, I know it's cliche. We've talked about it before, but it really helped me save my life. See, that's what, when, you, when you can say it like that, right? And knowing how open and honest you've been about your journey, it's like, doesn't matter if it's cliche. Yeah. yeah. If you ain't well, got a tattoo in your forehead. Man, like, I messed up. I made a lot of bad choices. Not once, not twice, not three times. Like, well, this is LeBron, five, six. <laughs> More than multiple times on the multiple hands, I made bad decisions in every aspect of my life. But I got myself out. Every time I fell, I got back up and I went back out there and I tried to learn from it. It took me too many years to do it, but I did it. Because you just, you know what? When you when you're in that headspace and you want to give up, you don't see the light, you keep walking. If you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you just keep walking. Yep. Find it. There's help out there, search for it, Google it ask for it, reach out, do whatever you can to get that help because you deserve to get you back. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I kind of see if I can make a point here in that one to anybody that might be listening, better be listening, is that you talked about the journey addiction, how it's completely different for everybody, right? You just have to figure out what's right for you. No, everybody's the same. But on the other side, you've got these people coming to you now for coaching. And they're not necessarily there. Well, or they may be. And they're just not necessarily opening up to that aspect. But they're taking some kind of step towards change. And if that change results in some level of awakening, more the power to it. Yeah, and none of my clients are actually the same. And none of them really had the life I had. Uh, they're just people that saw my content. They're like, Hey, we want to make change. They reached out and we made change. They made change. They bought into the system. They did the work and they started believing in themselves and they put sort of put themselves first. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't take a change is hard. Change is hard. Cause oh. you got to accept that, you know what, you, you need to do something differently, but then you got to do it and it's implementing it and, figuring out the how, but everybody that I've had is, you know, they've, they got the results because they did the work. Do you know James Smith? The UK guy, uh, strength and conditioning guy. Mm. Um, I don't think so. He's very <laughs> calorie fucking deficit. That's it. Like it calls everybody in it causes the kind of fakeness of the strength and conditioning world and all that sort of thing and he just keeps going back to things like his, his mantra is calorie fucking deficit calorie fucking. so it's like i don't care if you're in keto blah 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 it's calorie deficit 
right? Yeah. And it is simplest form. It really is. Mm-hmm. I think we need to say it in the lab for coaching. It's like, did it fucking work? Now, you can't say just do it because Nike's got that one, right? And they would probably sue your ass for kind of trademark infringement and all that is. I think you kind of need that one. And it's like, change this not come unless you're doing the work. And the work is hard. Mm-hmm. You know? Accept um, it, brace it, make it. Yeah. So I'll ask, where can everybody find you? Well, uh, where do you like w- to hang out most? Instagram, Facebook. So just Justin Bryan, B-R-I-E-N on um, Facebook. Uh, Justin Bryan 19 on Instagram or www.justinbryan.com. If you want to email me, justin at justinbryan.com. Love to hear from you. Let me know what you think of this podcast or just reach out. Let's have a conversation. Um, my project's called the Stronger You Project. It's 12 weeks of working one-on-one with me. Check a t-shirt. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> so why you see the, the likely the last one is, is that um, so today is a Friday mm-hmm. and it's Flex Friday for you. Is that right? Yeah. So who <laughs> knows when anybody's listening to this, it's one of the ones if you start to follow Justin, be prepared to see him. He does like to hit the gym. But it's no one of those look at me workout type of things. It's just like, as you've heard, it's part of how he keeps on that pathway. So thank you very much, sir. Um, Absolute awesome time. Thank you for being like showing your courage and be openly, honestly. Yeah, tough, you know, but I think it's needed. I'm so glad you shared. So glad we connected. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Cheers, bro. Take it easy. Take it easy. Bye-bye.